0: The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Thank you so much for coming on out to church this morning and being a part. Uh, before we get started, um, as you're turning your way there into 1 Kings chapter number 11, I just wanted to take a moment and say uh, thank you so much to everyone that prayed for Sarah and I, as we uh, just had our first son be born this past month. It's just uh, it was nice to know that people are praying for you, and thanks to everyone that came and visited us and brought us meals, except the liver, that wasn't too great. Just kidding. N- n- nobody brought us liver. Bad joke. Uh, We just do want to say thanks so much from the bottom of our hearts. It's great being a part of a church family and people in our growth group and in the church that just, it's great being a part of a family that really cares for you and loves you. So I just wanted to say uh, thank you for those of you uh, who did that there. And for those of you who have no clue who I am, my name is Nick. I get to serve as the Connections Pastor here at Ambassador Baptist Church. And uh, my wife, Sarah, she was playing the piano. And our son, he's actually terrorizing the nursery right now. So pray for our nursery workers there. Nah, he's great. Uh, this morning I was practicing my sermon to him, and this was the reaction I got um, from him this morning. So hopefully that doesn't happen with any of you this morning, as I'm sure it won't. Um, just he wasn't, he wasn't really getting it. <laughs> um, well, if you found your place there in 1 uh, Kings chapter number 11, uh, we're going to continue our series this morning entitled Age of Kings. And these past few weeks we've been looking at what we can learn about the King of Kings from the kings of Israel, and how we can see Jesus Christ even throughout the Old Testament and then uh, get to learn from them and everything, and this has actually been probably one of my favorite series so far this year. Um, It's fun because when I was a kid growing up, this was the part of the Bible that really captured my imagination. I loved it. It was so exciting, and then just to continue to have that same love and appreciation for these stories has been really great uh, throughout this sermon series, so... I'm excited about it. I'm excited about this morning. We're going to look at the reign of King Jeroboam, the reign of King Jeroboam. So hopefully the history nerd won't come out and me too much there. Uh, if you found your place there in 1 Kings chapter 11, go ahead and stand with me this morning as we read our text. We're going to read verse 738, for 7 and 38, and then we'll jump over to chapter 12 and verse number 20. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 37, and I will take thee. This is God speaking to Jeroboam. I will take thee, and thou shalt reign according to all that thy soul desirest, and shalt be king over Israel. And it shall be, verse number thirty-eight. If thou wilt hearken unto all that I command thee, and will walk in my ways and do that is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did that I will be with thee and will build thee a sure house as I built for David and will give Israel and will give Israel unto thee. Flip over to the next page to chapter 12 verse number 20. The Bible says and it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again that they sent and called him unto the congregation and made him king over all Israel. there was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. Later we'll see that the tribe of Benjamin was also included there. But we see here in these verses, Jeroboam becomes king of Israel. Thank you, you may be seated. Um, As I studied this passage, I really learned that God is trustworthy. So this morning we're going to look at, we're going to see how God is trustworthy here this morning. Um, but as I was studying the sermon, I, at first I was kind of tempted just to sit back a little bit and think, oh, trusting God, you know, that's really basic. That's kind of Sunday school. Everybody knows you can trust God, and trusting God's a really easy subject. But the more and more I studied it and the more and more I kind of got into it, the more and more I realized that trusting God goes a lot deeper than just a child Sunday school lesson. When a Christian totally and completely trusts God, a Christian at that point is saying, I give God everything. I am totally surrendered to him. When somebody totally trusts God, there's no area of their life that they hold back from God. Sometimes, because we do think it's pretty basic, we'll treat trusting God kind of like this passive religious state of mind. Like, yes, okay, I know I can trust God, so I'm good good to go. But really, it goes deeper than that, as we're going to see here this morning. The truth is, trusting God is more than just a mental acknowledgement. When a Christian completely trusts God, there's no area of his life that is not affected by that. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, on our day off, we were swimming at the pool, and there was this dad and his son who got to the pool. And the son was probably like four, maybe five years old, I'm guessing. And the dad jumped into the deep end, and he looks at the son and says, "All right, jump in." <laughs> and the kid's like, uh, "I can't swim." And he's like, "You'll be fine. Just jump in." And so the kid was like, "All right," to just whew, reckless abandon, totally jumped into the pool. And I'm thinking, that kid is crazy. And then he went under, and about half a second later, he comes right back up. And he's fighting. He's struggling for everything he's worth to stay above water. And his dad's like, swim to me. And he's just, he's fighting for it. And he gets over to his dad. And as soon as he gets over to his dad, his dad takes a step back. And he's like, swim to me. And so his kid's still fighting. And he swims right over to him. And he takes another step back. And he's like, swim to me. And this, I'm like, this kid is, he, he doesn't know how to swim, but he's swimming. You know, it was pretty amazing. And by the time he was done, the kid swam all the way across the pool. And his dad was like, now you know how to swim. And as I watched that, I'm like, I don't know if that's a brilliant way to teach a kid to swim or horrible parenting. Um, But the truth is, that kid totally trusted his dad. Totally and completely trusted his dad. And because of that trust, everything worked out. This kid trusted his father. As I thought about that, and I thought about trusting God, I I kind of was like, okay, I, I know we can trust God. But how do I really know whether or not I am? And so as I was kind of thinking through this, several questions came to mind. The first question that I kind of thought of, kind of helping us determine whether or not we totally trust God is, do you ever feel frustrated by the circumstances in your life? Do you ever just get to a point where it seems like life is spinning out of control and you're totally in over your head and you're like that kid, you're you're trying and you're fighting for everything you're worth and it just drives you nuts. The truth is, we're all going to go through circumstances like that, but when we trust God, there's a peace that passes all understanding, even during those difficult circumstances. So, do you ever get frustrated with the circumstances of your life? Do you ever feel like your life is just totally out of control, and you just want to throw up your hands in the air and say, I quit. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Or maybe, do you ever feel like you're not experiencing the promises of God in your life? Um, this, this one... Uh, happened to me the other day. I was feeling frustrated, feeling overwhelmed, feeling very um, very aware of how much I kind of needed to grow in my own spiritual life and in my personal life and just becoming a father and having a personality that tends to be a little bit more dramatic. I was just, I was feeling overwhelmed and frustrated and in my devotions that morning I read Matthew. Chapter 11, verses um, 28 through 30, where Jesus says, Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you, for it's easy and my burden's life, light. And he says, I will give you rest for your soul. And I read that verse, and I was a little bit like, God, I'm not experiencing that rest in my soul right now. I, I, I know you say I can, God, but I'm just—I'm just honest with the Lord. I'm just like—I just—I'm not, God. I, I feel restless. I feel agitated all the time. I just feel on edge because i, I just just—I'm overwhelmed, God, and I'm just like—I don't—I'm not experiencing this, Lord. I want to experience this, and it was like the Holy Spirit told me. Because you're wearing your own yoke and you're not wearing mine, He said, Nick, you're not trusting me. So when we feel like we're not experiencing the promises of God, when we feel like. Our life's just out of control and we're just frustrated and we're annoyed and we're just completely and totally overwhelmed. Or maybe it's not any of those. Maybe you're sitting here and you're just looking at everything going on in our world as a whole today. You look at the spiritual state of our country and you look at all the unrest and the war that's going on in the Middle East and you just get worried. And you just, you get scared and you're, you, you, you're pulling out your hair because you don't know what's going to happen. Can I suggest this morning that all of this can be solved with trust. All of this can be solved by placing our trust in God. Let's jump back to 1 Kings chapter number 11 this morning to kind of get us caught up in a little bit of the history of what's going on at this period of time right now. Um, we have to kind of jump back to the beginning of chapter number 11. and the beginning of chapter number 11, uh, we see Solomon is the king at the beginning of chapter 11. And Solomon, he was a good king. He was a wise king. But towards the end of his life, as you read it, he started getting all these wives and all these concubines. And God warned him against doing that because he said, they're going to turn your heart away from me. But he disobeyed God, and he he was living in this crazy sin. And as a result, like God said, these uh, wives turned Solomon's heart away from God, and Solomon literally began worshipping pagan idols. He literally began worshipping these false gods and not worshipping the one true God of Israel. And as a result of that, God said that he was going to remove the kingdom of Israel from Solomon uh, later on in the chapter, in verse 11 through 13. Uh, If you want to flip over there, the Bible says... In verse 11. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. Notwithstanding in thy days, I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Howbeit, I will not rend away the king, all, all the kingdom but will give one tribe to thy son for David thy servant's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. The reason God didn't totally remove the kingdom from uh, the house of David was because the Messiah was supposed to come through that line. So he couldn't be totally done with it because even when God was punishing Solomon here, we see his grace working through and his grace shining through because Jesus was going to come for that line. But as a result of Solomon's sin, God said, okay, we're going we're to take this kingdom from you. And God tells Jeroboam, I'm going to give you these ten tribes that I'm taking away from the house of David. Uh, Jeroboam he was actually a high-ranking official in Solomon's court. Uh, as you read the story, you'll see that Solomon just act, or Jeroboam just got a promotion, and so Jeroboam got a promotion. Jeroboam is walking, and all of a sudden, Jeroboam runs into this prophet. Right? Uh, the prophet's name was Ahijah. I'm so glad we don't have those names anymore. Um, so, but Solomon or Jeroboam, excuse me, runs into the prophet, and the prophet just stops him, grabs him, and literally get this begins ripping up his coat. Just stops him out of nowhere and starts ripping it up. And the prophet says, just like I ripped up your coat, God is going to rip away this kingdom from Solomon. And he's going to give you ten tribes. And so now at this point, because of Solomon's sin, the nation of Israel is now split into two. A lot of times from this point forward, you're going to see that God refers to the nation of Judah, which is the two tribes that are still under the house of David. And then there's the ten tribes uh, in the north. That's called the nation of Israel. So we see at this point, the kingdom gets split into two. God said that he would give all the tribes of Judah, and later you'll see Benjamin, all but those two tribes, to Jeroboam. God promised to bless Jeroboam if he followed God with all his heart, just like King David did. He said, hey, I'm going to give you this kingdom. I'm going to establish you as king. And if you follow me with all your heart, you are going to have a blessed reign. You and all your house will be established. God promised to Jeroboam that he would reign. And that his house would be established as those that reigned over Israel. Which leads us to our first thought this morning. And that is this. That God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. You see, we can trust God. God has proven himself again and again and again throughout the pages of scripture. That we can trust him. He is worthy of our trust. God told Jeroboam, I'm going to establish you as the king of Israel. And that's exactly what God did. God established Jeroboam as the king of Israel. Oftentimes when we're explaining trust, especially when we, you're kind of working with kids and things, you'll kind of do what's called a trust test. Uh, the most popular one is probably the trust fall, right? Everyone's seen that where you blindfold somebody and they fall backwards and the person behind them catches them. Well, as I was studying, I came across this video I, uh, of a father who's trying to teach this to his kids. Close your eyes and just fall down, okay? Don't worry. Okay, then Lauren's going to catch your eyes, you. Close your eyes. Okay. okay, it's called the okay. trust fall. Okay, trust fall. Ready? Set, go. Aren't you glad that God will always catch you? Amen? God is, God is trustworthy. Um, that's a funny, and I, I always get a chuckle out of that. But the truth is, God will always be there to catch us. We can't trust God. The Bible says in Hebrews 3:5, He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God is trustworthy. God told Jeroboam, I'm going to establish you as the king. I'm going to make you the king of these ten tribes, the new nation of Israel. And that's exactly what God did. And God has also proved himself throughout the pages of scripture, consider these following verses taken from Psalms. Psalms 28.7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart gladly rejoiced and with my song I will praise him. Now, as we read some of these verses in Psalms, keep in mind that at this, uh, this time in David's history, he's running for his life. He's trying to be killed. But here he's saying, God is my strength. God is my shield. I can trust God. Why? Because he's my strength. I don't have to rely on my own strength, David said. He said, I can rely on God's strength. He's my strength. He's my shield. He protects me. Psalm 31, verses 1 and 3. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Never, never, let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Get this, verse 3. For thou art my rock and my fortress. David's saying, God, you are my rock. You're my foundation. God, you're my fortress. I can place all of my trust in you. Psalm 40, verses 2. Uh, he brought me also up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet on a rock and established my goings. Let's look at the next verse, verse number 4. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust. Blessed is the man that makes his Lord trust. And at the end of verse 5, we see many, O Lord, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done. David saying, God is my rock, He's my fortress. He he picked me up out of this horrible pit that I was in. And he set my feet on a rock. He's given me a new life. All these wonderful works that God has done for me, David saying, Allow me to know that I can trust God. God is trustworthy. Psalm 55, verses 22 says, Cast thy burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Uh, chapter 56, verses 3 and 4 says, "When time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. I, in God I will praise his word. In God have I put my trust. When we're afraid, when we're scared, when we don't know what's going on, when we feel overwhelmed, God is saying, you can trust me. God is Trustworthy. Isaiah 26, uh, verse number 4 says, Trust ye in the Lord, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. God's strength never runs out. We don't ever have to worry. Is God going to get too tired to help me? No, God's strength is an everlasting strength. A few weeks ago, I was working, or I was helping in the teens growth group. Um, and teens are a lot of fun. Um, one of the particular teenagers, he was pouring himself some soda. And I looked at it, and something inside of me was like, this is not going to end well. Um, teenagers aren't known for being the most gracious uh, among us. And so as he was pouring the soda, I said, hey, man, be careful. You don't spill that all over the ground. And he looked at me, and he's like, well, you don't trust me? You think I'm a klutz? And I was like, all right, man, just be careful. And literally within two seconds, before he even got back to his seat, that soda was all over the floor, just spilled it everywhere. And he looks at me, and he's like, I guess that's what I get for being proud. I was like, well, I warned you. But the truth is, God is never going to drop us. God is never going to let us down. His strength is an everlasting strength. God will always be there for us. God will never let you down. He's our rock. He's our fortress. His strength never runs out. God is trustworthy. God always has our best interest at heart. And not only does he have our best interest at heart, he has the power to make it happen. We can trust God. The Bible says over and over again that we can trust God. But the Bible doesn't just tell us, God is trustworthy. It gives us story after story after story after story of God proving himself to be trustworthy. I mean, think about Abraham. God said, go, and I'm going to make a nation out of you. Uh, Lord, where are we going to go? Don't worry about it. Just go. Okay, God, uh, my wife and I were too old to have kids. Don't worry about it. I'll give you guys kids. And what happened? God took care of them and built from Abraham a nation. God is trustworthy. I mean, think about about, uh, Moses. Children of Israel, they just escaped Egypt, just saw the plagues and everything. And now all of a sudden they're stuck at the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army is closing in behind them, ready to wipe them out. And the children of Israel are like, did we get brought out here to die? What's going on? And what happened? God split the sea wide open. God provided a way when they thought they were going to die. Because God is trustworthy. Think about Joshua. When the children of Israel, they faced the walls of Jericho. They had never seen walls like that before. And what does God tell him to do? Walk in circles around it. (laughs) If if I would have been there, I would have been like, are are you sure? Is Is that the best plan? But what happened? The walls came down. Because God is trustworthy. And as a leader in the nation of Israel, Jeroboam would have known these stories. He would have known these truths. He would have known that God is trustworthy. He would have known about Abraham, about Moses, about Joshua. He would have known about how God took care of David. He would have known this. He was a leader in the country. He was the new king. And not only that, God had proven himself to be trustworthy to him Personally, by establishing him as king. God said, okay, we're just going to take this from the history and we're going to make it real in your life right now. You can trust me, uh, Jeroboam, because I just established you as king. God is saying, I am trustworthy. First 1 Kings 12.20, And it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again. They sent and called him unto the congregation and made him king over Israel. The fact that Jeroboam became king was proof that God was trustworthy. In fact, after he becomes king, when you read the story of Rehoboam, he was the son of Solomon. He's a king over the nation of Judah, which is now uh, the tribes of Judah. And uh, Benjamin, he's like, I'm going to go to war with this guy because I'm going to take this back. He's like, I'm going to fix this. And God sends a prophet to Rehoboam and says, no, 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 no. God told Rehoboam, I made Jeroboam king. He's king because I want him to be king. He is king because I have established him as the king. He is the king because I put him there. God is completely sovereign and in absolute control of everything going on in our lives. God is trustworthy. Just as Jeroboam got to experience firsthand the trustworthiness of God, so do we. As Christians, we have placed our faith and our trust in, and Jesus Christ to save our souls. Christ did for us what we can never do on ourselves. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, for He had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God has proven himself to be trustworthy to all of us that are saved by saving our souls, by doing for us what we can never do for ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can't get a home in heaven. But God said, hey, I'm going to provide a way. Jesus Christ said, you can put your faith and trust in me because I did for you what you can never do for yourself. Just like Jeroboam got to experience God's trust trustworthiness firsthand. So do we as Christians. We get to experience God's trustworthiness in our lives. God is trustworthy. As we continue in our story, Jeroboam would have known at this point, God is trustworthy. He would have known the history of how God had proven himself. God had already proven himself by establishing him as king. He would have known all that. Now it's Jeroboam's turn to trust God. Now it's Jeroboam's turn to say, okay, God, I know you're trustworthy, and now I'm going to place my faith and trust in you, and I'm going to lead the nation of Israel to worship you. But let's notice what happens in First Kings uh, chapter number 12. Flip over to verses 26 through 30. First Kings 12, verse 26, And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. The house of David was Rehoboam, the king of the nation of Judah. He said, they're going to go back. He says, if this people go to sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, if they go there to worship God the way they're supposed to, he says, then shall the heart of the people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam as king of Judah, and they shall kill me. And kill again unto Rehoboam, king of Judah. So he's saying, he's getting worried. He's like, if I obey God, if I do what God told me to do, if I lead the nation in worshiping God, he's like, they're going to kill me and they're going to leave me and they're going to go back to Judah. He's getting all worried about it. You can just sense he's getting worried about it. notice, Notice what he does as a result. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one up in Bethel and he put the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan. So basically what Jeroboam does is instead of Placing his trust in God and obeying God, he gets worried. He doesn't. He doesn't remember the promises of God as he's processing all of this. He analyzes the situation without keeping in mind the promise that God made to him, and as a result, he leads his nation in idolatry. He leads his nation in false worship, which leads us to our second thought this morning, and that is this: the trust or the choice to trust God always leads to active obedience. So we know God is trustworthy. We've seen it throughout, the, throughout these verses. We've seen how God has proved himself trustworthy throughout the pages of scripture. We've seen how he's proven himself trustworthy to us by saving our souls. However, the choice for us to place our trust in God always leads to active <laughs> obedience. Trusting God is much more than a passive religious state of mind. It's a complete and total surrender to his will. Trusting God is active obedience. When we allow ourselves to get frustrated by the circumstances of our life, that needs to be a trigger. When I, when I get frustrated because I feel like, man, things just aren't going my way, that needs to be a trigger. I'm not trusting God. Instead of just saying, oh, i got to do harder, I've got to work harder, that needs to be a trigger that says, I need to trust God's promises. I need to trust God at his will. So we know God is trustworthy. We know that act of trust leads to obedience, but maybe we're sitting here and we're like, okay, how do I trust God? How is it that I can trust God? The circumstances are huge. The evidences of why I shouldn't trust God are big and they're overwhelming. How do we trust God? Is it because we're super Christian? Is it because I have a lot of mental discipline and I can just plow through it? No. It's because we have Christ living inside of us. Christ is who trusted God with everything, is living inside of you. Christ, who trusted God with everything, he trusted God to leave heaven. He trusted God to become a man. He trusted God to die for our sins. That same Christ, who trusted God with everything, is living inside of you. And inside of you, he is wanting to trust God through you. See, it's not, oh, I just I got to try and trust harder. It's not, I need to go read, uh, here's 10 ways that I can trust God more. No, just surrender to Christ and let Christ trust God through you. Christ trusted God with everything. God has given us a new nature as Christians. And our new nature, which we have been given by God, wants to trust God. There's something deep down in all of us that wants to place total and reckless trust in God. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God's new nature that he's given you. Inside, as Christians, we want to trust God because we have Christ living inside of us. But the truth about trusting God is that it is a choice. Jeroboam decided not to make that choice. Jeroboam ignored the promise of God. He got his eyes on the circumstances. He got his eyes on the situation, on the 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 spiritual and political climate of his country, you could say. He got his eyes stuck on that. He forgot the promise that God made to him. He forgot how God had constantly proved himself to be trustworthy. And as a result, he did not obey God. He decided that he was not going to trust God. In fact, later in 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 9, the Bible says, But thou hast done evil above all that were before thee. God told Jeroboam, he's like, man, He's like, you've done worse than anybody that was before you. He says, for, for thou hast gone and made the other gods and molten images. get this, to provoke me to anger and has cast me behind their back. God told Jeroboam, he's like, God, I don't need you. That was exactly what Jeroboam did to God. I mean, it's, it's what the Bible says. He says, you cast me behind your back. Like, God, I don't need you. And oftentimes we find ourselves in the same crossroads, if you will, as Jeroboam. We have all the evidence of why we shouldn't trust God on one side. Telling us, hey, you, you got to do it this way. You got to do it this way. You can't trust God. This is going to happen, or this isn't going to work out. Or We have all the evidence of why we shouldn't trust God on one side. And on the other side, we have the wonderful promises of God. We have Christ inside of us who wants to trust God. Christ inside of us who trusts God and will trust God through us. But the choice is ours to make. You see in our flesh we'll all make the same choice as Jeroboam. If we allow our eyes to get stuck on the circumstances. And if we allow our eyes to get stuck on the problems. Though the, 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 um, the ramifications of our choice might not seem as, as extreme as Jeroboam. Uh, the situations will no doubt be different. But it's, it's always okay. There's these circumstances in my life. And am I going to trust the promises of God? Am I going to allow Christ to trust God through me? Or... Am I going to try and do this thing on my own? Act, or trust in God always leads to active obedience. And the wonderful part is even in those moments where we, 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 we don't trust God, and even in those moments where we, we, we did blow it, where we did get our eyes on the circumstances, God is always right there to pick us back up. And God is always right there just to say, hey, I'm here. Trust me. I love you. God in his mercy and grace is always right there to pick us back up. Imagine how different our lives would look if we totally and completely trusted God with every area of our life no bars back and not for some selfish motive but because of because God is trustworthy because of who God is jeremiah 17 says blessed is the man that trusts in the lord and whose hope the lord is it says he shall be like a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when the heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought; neither shall cease from yielding her fruit. What these verses are saying is, when we trust in God, yes, hard times still will come. We're not saying if you trust in God, your life's going to be a bed of roses. No, the the verse is clear: when the heat comes, in the year of drought, we're going to experience hard times. But when we're trusting God, it's like they don't phase us anymore. We have that peace. It's like it's like the tree, of the planet. It doesn't even notice when the heat is there. It doesn't even notice why. Because their trust is in God. Hard times will come, difficult seasons will arise, but it won't affect you the same way. You'll still have fruit in your life. Why? Because it's not me. It's not us. It's God working through us. So let me ask you: What area of our lives are we looking at the circumstances? and not the promises of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,